Amen. Good morning, everyone. Could you stand up? We're going to sing Reckless Love. No, sorry. For I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. And you've been so, so kind to me.
quiet Oh, he chases me down Fights till I'm found Leaves the 99 And I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away And all the overwhelming Never-ending reckless love of God The snow shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me The snow wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. The snow wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found. Don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Good morning, and welcome all to chapel. For many of us, this week is a tough one. In light of frustrating and heartbreaking world events, busy student and staff schedules, and big projects and tests, many of us feel tired, sick, run down, and really, really ready for fall break. I invite you to take these 40 minutes to slow down, put aside distractions, and be present in this space. Acknowledge the friends and familiar faces in the benches beside you and all around you, and allow yourself to feel gratitude for them. Acknowledge that we are all, at our core, vulnerable human beings who are made to love and be loved. Let us dedicate this chapel to remembering the common humanity we all share. This morning, I will light our Christ lamp to remind us of God's presence with us today. I would like to invite Sarah Azuni and Grace Van Note to join me at the pulpit. Everyone, please join us in sharing prayers from Christian, Muslim, and Jewish traditions as we acknowledge that God speaks to each of us differently through different mediums. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning. Thank you for the Scotian College community and for a global community. Lord, be with us as we work on always acknowledging our shared humanity. Be with those who are too often denied their humanity by society or other systems of this world. Aid us all in recognizing and uplifting the common humanity of all humans, especially those who have been dehumanized. We are all humans created in your image. Thank you for hearing our struggles and our joys in the human journey. Amen.
Blessed are you, O Lord, or God, King of the universe, who fashioned man with wisdom and created within him many openings and many cavities. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if but one of them were to be ruptured or but one of them were to be blocked, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you. Blessed are you, O Lord or God, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. Amun. Please close your eyes. To you, my Lord, I complain of my weakness. You, the most compassionate and merciful. You are the Lord of the weak and my Lord. Rabbana la tuakhidna innasina waqta'na. O Allah, do not impose claim upon us if we have forgotten or erred. Our Lord, we have relied upon you, and to you we have returned. Make us from those who hope the weak, and make us from those who brighten up another person's path with happiness. Amen. A number of years ago, maybe five, there was a student here named Andrea Moya. And Andrea was from Colombia, South America, but when she was very young, as my understanding of the story goes, her family moved to Ecuador to flee the global con or the conflict, the armed conflict in Colombia. Their family was not the only family that fled. In fact, lots of families fled, and Andrea's parents who were pastors, ended up pastoring the Quito Mennonite Church. That church became a church made up of refugees. I mean, there were some folks originally from Quito who were part there, but a whole lot of the congregation was, was made up of refugees from Colombia. The problem was that they weren't all on the same sides of the conflict in Colombia. So when they gathered on Sunday morning, they were often sitting with people who were their enemies in some very real terms. People whose families had been um, killed, members of their families had been killed by other folks' families in the congregation. And so the coming together was quite stressful. And it, the question was always often raised, like how can we be God's people together when we are so different, and when we have harmed each other, and when our perspectives are very different. And it was in the context of that dis-ease that the practice of passing the peace became for them more than words. Each Sunday when they would gather, they would intentionally stand and greet each other and the words they used were along the lines of the peace of Christ be with you. The cosmic Christ, the risen Christ, the Christ who was the Alpha and the Omega present in all times, in all places. This presence of God, the divine. So when they stood and greeted each other and said, the peace of Christ be with you, it was a confession of their own brokenness, and it was an 
acknowledgement that even though we are different, we can, through the power of God, come together and care for one another. So Andrea told us that story, and it began a practice here at Goshen College where during chapel we would pass the peace. We would stand up and greet people, and sometimes it was just hello, sometimes it was peace be with you, sometimes it was the peace of Christ be with you. But the intent was that we acknowledge that we are all made in the image of God, and we are all here right now. And though they weren't saying it at that time, we were all in this together as God's children. So we would like to do that today. So I invite you all to stand and greet those around you with the peace of God. As you retake your seats, if you would take out your blue hymnals and turn with me to number 322, for we are strangers no more.
And if you would also turn in the blue hymnal to number 306, in Christ there is no east nor west. Our speaker this morning is Professor John Roth. Professor John Roth serves many roles on our campus, including history professor, director of the Mennonite Historical Library, and editor of the Mennonite Quarterly Review. He also actively researches and writes for the Institute for the Study of Global Anabaptism. And though he does have a thriving academic career, the context most of us students may want to know is this. What kind of a professor is he? According to some students, John Roth has, a high, has high yet achievable expectations for his students and delivers class content in a calm, laid-back manner with a great personality. Please join me in hearing Professor John Roth speak about his faith journey and global community. Good morning. During the uh, 33 years that I've been teaching at Goshen College, I have stood at this same spot frequently, at least, I think, seven or eight times, to reflect on my faith journey. In many ways, the story that I have to share this morning has not changed uh, since 1985 when I first started teaching. The formative experiences of my childhood, uh, the life-changing decisions of marriage and vocation that I made in the early 1980s shaped me in very deep ways, and I'm still uh, that same person. And yet every time I tell my story, I realize that somehow in uh, very significant ways, I am a different person than I was the last time I shared. Christians sometimes tell their testimony as a conversion story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, my life has been filled with many conversions. There have been many times that I have been confronted by experiences that reshape the way I think about myself and how I make sense of the world. 
In one of my favorite uh, books, uh, Catherine Schultz's Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margin of Error, Schultz talks about going on an extended road trip with a friend. And at some point toward the end of the journey, she asked her friend why the highway department would use Chinese characters in their road signs. Uh, her friend was baffled until they came to another one of those signs, which, <laughs> of course, uh, sig actually signals a picnic area. Some version of this has happened to all of us, often in ways where much more was at stake than misreading a sign. The world makes sense to us in one way, and then something happens that forces us to reevaluate what we thought we knew. And then suddenly, or perhaps slowly, we see the world in a fresh perspective. When I was 18, for example, after a year at Goshen, I stepped out of college. Uh, I landed in Austria, and for six months, I lived with a very simple farming family in a tiny village north of Vienna, where I worked on the grape and wheat harvest. And there I encountered a new language, a new culture, a new historical context. And then through a strange set of circumstances, uh, I spent a week in Prague with the Czech underground. This was at the height of the Cold War. I met Václav Havel, who I had no idea who he was at the time, but would later become the president of the Czech Republic. Those six months changed my life. I came home with questions I didn't even know how to ask before I left. Or I think of the moment during my junior year of college when after enormous anguish and soul-searching, it finally became completely clear to me that I needed to let go of my plans to become a medical doctor, to let go of a story and an imagined future that I had repeated since the age of seven in order to follow my emerging and passionate interest in history. I think of the decision right after graduate school when I needed to choose between a career at a major research university or a small liberal arts college in Goshen. Initially, it was a decision driven by my wife's conviction that in Goshen we would have a stronger community to help raise the large family re-envisioned. I resisted. I was a historian of 19th century German social history. I had ambitions for a loftier calling than a small liberal arts school in the cornfields of northern Indiana. That conversion, that realignment of my, the imagined trajectory of my career seemed painful at first, but I quickly came to see it as a gift. I retooled as a historian of the Radical Reformation, the Anabaptists of the 16th century who were the forerunners to the Mennonites. I threw myself into a calling of scholarship for the church. In addition to teaching, I became director of the Mennonite Historical Library, which is the world's most comprehensive collection of Radical Reformation materials. 
I became editor of Mennonite Quarterly Review, the world's leading journal on the Anabaptist Mennonites, Hutterites, and Amish. Almost all of the books and articles that I wrote focused on some aspect of the Anabaptist Mennonite story. I was slowly becoming an expert in a rather small pond, but I discovered that this decision opened up doors I never could have imagined. Anabaptism, by the way, maybe I should, should say this, Anabaptism was a religious movement that started in the 16th century that insisted that following Jesus was a choice, uh, emphasized sharing possessions, emphasized the gift of a strong community, uh, and the idea that all human beings are made uh, in the image of God. All of those themes have shaped the Mennonite tradition that is important to the character of Goshen College. As I was becoming more and more enthused about a new vocation as an Anabaptist historian, my sense of personal faith was also changing. The whole point of Anabaptism, of course, was that you were not born into a religion. And yet over time, Mennonites uh, sometimes forgot that core principle. Some Mennonites are tempted to define themselves in tribal or cultural or ethnic terms. Raised in a certain tradition, you could say, I've heard it said, I'm a Mennonite, but not a Christian. Now, I had raised my hand at a revival meeting when I was eight or nine years old. I'd been baptized, but by the time I was a young adult, I was deeply skeptical about the spiritual or personal dimensions of my faith. And so another moment of conversion for me came early in my career at Goshen when I realized that being Mennonite was not enough. At some point, I came to a clear realization that being Mennonite was like a stained glass window. It could be a beautiful thing, but unless there was a light behind it illuminating it, it was just dark glass. That realization began a spiritual journey of seeking a deeper understanding of the light itself, a new opening up to the presence of the divine, an attentiveness to the surprising flashes of coherence that went far deeper than my particular tradition. I began to practice spiritual disciplines a daily exercise of acknowledging my weaknesses, my dependence on God and my community, practices of gratitude, of cultivating a sense of wonder, of seeing every person I encountered as someone made in the image of God, and each day trying to allow those practices to shape the routine events of my daily life. I think that experience made it easier for me to be open to yet another turning point or conversion. After 15 years at Goshen, I had come to fully identify with the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition. I spoke frequently in Mennonite congregations and church gatherings. I wrote for the church press. I was steeped in Anabaptist Mennonite scholarship. I was a, a convinced Mennonite. 
And so when I was asked to represent Mennonites in a series of ecumenical conversations initiated by the Lutherans, I readily agreed. I saw it as a missionary opportunity, a chance to remind the Lutherans who had persecuted the Anabaptists in the 16th century of their acts of intolerance and injustice and maybe to press humbly and gently for an apology after all those years. I won't go into the details, but the years I spent in ecumenical dialogue, first with Lutherans and then with Catholics and Pentecostals and Seventh-day Adventists, included some of the most difficult work I have ever done as a historian or as a Christian. Those conversations forced me to rethink my assumptions about my people. They complicated the story I was used to telling. Repeatedly, I encountered the face of God in other traditions, and I was humbled by the spiritual riches that I saw in the lives of my counterparts. I remain a convinced Mennonite. I love its history, its commitment to Jesus, to community, to the gospel of peace, to courageous witness. I love my church, but those ecumenical experiences changed me in a profound way. I can look back on each of these instances now from the safety of the present and say how wonderful but it would be wrong to describe those transitions in such easy and smooth terms. The clarity comes only in retrospect. In fact, every one of the moments I've described was filled with profound discomfort and anxiety and self-doubt and fear. Changing our perspective is not easy. It always involves a moment uh, like the trapeze artist who has let go of one bar but not yet grabbed the next one. It's a little like uh, falling in love. And then at some point realizing in your head, long after you already know it in your heart, that this is not really meant to be. The pain of letting go is real. But in reality, the pain is not really about being wrong. In fact, it should come as a relief to recognize that our earlier view of the world had been distorted or incomplete. What makes change so difficult is the realization that we were wrong and dealing with the pride we have invested in being right. In that spirit, I want to share a final story of a conversion in progress, one that I am still struggling to understand and to claim amidst a lot of uncertainty and even confusion. When I started teaching at Goshen, there were perhaps 600,000 Anabaptists in the world, the great majority of them living in Europe and North America. During my 30 years at Goshen, in three short decades, the tradition that I had devoted my life to studying was quietly undergoing a profound revolution 
so that today there are something like 2.2 million Anabaptist Mennonites in the world, and the overwhelming majority of them live outside of Europe and North America. In fact, during the past two decades, 92% of the growth of our church has happened in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. In 2002, Ethiopia became home to the largest national Mennonite church. The Mezarete Christos Church in Ethiopia has something today close to 400,000 baptized members, and churches in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Zimbabwe, in India, in Indonesia, are not far behind. Uh, and there are now today churches in more than 80 countries. From the perspective of a 500-year-old tradition, this is an astounding development, one that complicates almost everything that I thought I knew about the Anabaptist tradition and about being Mennonite today. For one thing, uh, it has forced me to rethink history, to rethink the way that I tell the narrative of my story. For many years, I told the narrative of this 500-year-old history as if what God had in mind in 1525 with the emergence of the Anabaptist movement, what God was thinking about was us, was me. And I told the narrative about how did we in North America become the Mennonite church that we are today. It's a narrative that kind of makes sense. That's why we tell history. But in the last five or eight years, I have committed myself to the difficult task of reimagining the narrative. What if God had in mind in January of 1525, not especially North America, what if God from the very beginning was imagining a church of 2.2 million people in 80 countries around the world. How would I have to tell the story, every part of the story differently, if that's where it was heading? Another um, unsettling part of this new recognition is a rethinking of theology. It is very standard in Western traditions to say that theology has to do primarily with the emergence in the Christian tradition of certain understandings of the Trinity, of the incarnation, certain formulations about the atonement, about the formation of the canon. And then when missionaries go to other settings, we talk about contextual theology. So in libraries today, you can have theology sections and then contextual theology when it gets to Asia and Africa and other settings. How did they understand or interpret Western theology in their setting? I have become convicted, and we do that, there's a Mennonite version of that as well. I have become convicted that that has to be rethought. All of theology, including the theology that shaped me and the people that I know best, is contextual theology. And the question then becomes, how are we attentive to each other's theology? And encountering Mennonites in the global church has forced me to notice how I have sealed off the categories of miracles 
or the active presence of the Holy Spirit in healing, or the ongoing revelation of God in the form of dreams or prophecies, the reality of a spiritual world that makes me uncomfortable because I can't control or explain it. Finally, my encounter with the global church has nudged me to rethink scholarship. I still care about the 16th and 17th century, but right now I'm asking how can I redirect my energies and expertise to do scholarship that focuses on the global church. Six years ago, I started the Institute for the Study of Global Anabaptism with a global vision and virtually no budget, but it means that all of our projects are uh, collaborations with partners around the world. Let me just give you a glimpse into a few of these initiatives. Each of these projects is modest, I tell people I always think of them on a 50-year horizon, uh, but each is an attempt, however imperfect, to try to pay attention to this new reality. Several years ago, we completed the first survey of faith and practices. This involved 24 groups in 18 countries. We translated the survey into 26 languages. We trained associates from each country to carry out the survey. We invited global leaders to a gathering to look at the results. And the global Anabaptist profile is now available in English, Spanish, and soon to be in French. Uh, the Bearing Witness Stories Project is an effort to be attentive to places in our global fellowship where Christians are suffering or experiencing persecution for their, for their faith, for their convictions to honor those stories, to gather them, and to bring them to our attention so that we can indeed bear the suffering of our brothers and sisters in other parts of, of the world. Texts in translation, we have many efforts to translate English theological works into Spanish or French or Amharic or whatever other language. We pay almost no attention to what creative theological or historical work is being done in other countries and how we might translate those back into English to spark at least an awareness, if not renewal, among those of us here. The Global Anabaptist Wiki is a framework to create a global archives where the 227 groups around the world have access to a way of posting whatever they wish to say about themselves, but also are especially archives in ways that are visible to the rest of us, so that as we tell our stories, we at least have access to the sources of telling other people's stories or being attentive to other people's stories as well. The Biblioteca Digital Anabautista is a collection of 175 theological texts by 92 authors in Spanish intended to support the distance learning efforts of Spanish seminaries around the world. The Global Anabaptist Mennonite Encyclopedia Online, GAMEO, is a collection of 16,000 articles, uh, regularly updated, with new articles from the global church coming in on a regular basis, that attempts to make this historical and theological story visible and accessible to the rest of the world. And finally, 
a 10-year initiative that I have been asked to lead in association with Mennonite World Conference that anticipates the 500th anniversary of the Mennonite tradition, but does so with an event, a celebration in a different part of the world every year in which we look to the past, but mostly focus on how is this tradition finding cultural expression in this culture, in this setting today. I honestly don't know where all this is heading, but I do know that the church is constantly being renewed, and right now the most exciting expressions of the Anabaptist Mennonite Church are unfolding in Asia, in Africa, and Latin America, and I want to take note, I want to learn from, from what is happening there. I want to be transformed. I want to undergo a conversion. Let me close. What kinds of conversions are unfolding in your life right now? If you feel something unsettled in you, if it feels like you are being tugged to let go of something and to enter into a new way of thinking or acting or relating to the world around you, I invite you to let that happen knowing that you will land in a new space, that you will find yourself in the company of good people, and that your world will be a richer and better place. Thank you. Thank you, John, for sharing your story with us. As a song of response, if you would take out the green hymnal and turn to number two, Hamba Nati, Come Walk With Us, and if you would please stand. After we sing this song, there will be a benediction, and then you are free to go.
as we finish this week, may you feel grounded in the knowledge that we are in this together, as friends, as colleagues, as part of the Goshen College community. May you feel rooted and sustained in the knowledge that our community here is a part of a global faith community dedicated to love and the journey of faith. In a society and a world that seeks to dehumanize, to marginalize, and to discriminate, may we remember that at our core, we are all human beings made in the image of God to love and be loved. Amen.